And welcome to another edition of the Nerdy Agent Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Patterson, with my brothers and fellow nerds, AJ and Josh. I believe my uh, speech impediment came out saying my own last name there. My Patterson, my R was rolled a little bit. I didn't know you it was had a little a bit like impediment. a burger. I did back in the day. Oh. I took speech therapy. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't say my R's. So now I can't. Do you roll your R's like like Spanish? Like burger. Burger. I can't. It can't roll my R's. Oh, can my kids. Roll? My kids. Can, you my must kids be able can do, do that. that. R. Do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. You almost were flipped. So well, my our kids I are in Spanish school. immersion, and they they learn to do that in kindergarten now. They it can just do it. Thing. It's I crazy. Wish I could do it. Um, that's a little bit off topic, but today we are going to give you an update on the current inventory in the Twin Cities market and a few other important data points that you should know in order to properly assist your clients heading into the spring here. This is something we're going to add on probably about once a quarter just so you can get an idea. And so you have an idea on where we're getting this data. We essentially have a TC company, which is a transaction coordination company that sends this data out, um, I believe weekly. We congregate it to get monthly totals. It's anything from which offers have inspection waivers to which what type of financing are they getting on there, which ones are being canceled at what rate. And so we're going to run through a few of these, show you what the trends have been since July of 23 um, through the first week in January, and then we'll just keep looking at these as we head into the spring. Um, to start off, do we want to go through one by one on these, or do we want to add, do like a, which ones are the hot hitters? Yeah, I think the hot hitters would be um, inspections, uh, average purchase price to list price, seller contributions, uh, contingencies on sale. We could talk a little bit about that. Escalation, one. Yeah. escalation clauses for well, sure, and then seller contributions is a big one. The appraisal sure, gap yeah. data in here is really interesting. Let's too. start with let's start with yeah. inspection waivers. So essentially, and again, just reiterating, this is this transaction company has purchase agreements go through them. This is the information that's in those PAs um, that they're receiving. Receiving. So do you guys want to start with inspection waivers since July of 23, what that's been looking like as a percentage um, of the offers there? Yeah, this one's really on. interesting too, because it's, it's if you go maybe back to like 2021, we could actually even go through that at some point. Yeah. Like that number in the peak of the housing chaos, I think at one point that number was over 50%, which was absolutely wild. And actually was a talking point. We, if you go back to the inspection episode last week that I actually used quite a bit with my clients to let them know how I felt about some of the behaviors that were going on with inspections, why I felt they were important to continue to have in your offers and how I able or how we are able to work around them. Um, but even this year, it was 29% of offers were inspections, no inspections in July. So, and that wasn't even like the peak chaos of this year. It was just kind of like a late summer month. That's down to 16% now, which I'm actually surprised by that number still feels way too high to me. Um, but multiple offers, that was kind of the go-to was, okay, we're not going to inspect this house because it's in multiple offers. We have seen that number obviously almost cut in half since the summer, which makes sense because you know the market has slowed in general. It's become more favorable to buyers as we've gotten into the colder winter months here. Um, but I think is is really you know telling in terms of how the market has shifted a little bit towards buyers. It'll be really interesting to see where it goes in the spring. I was going to say, do we think that heading into Q2, let's say in May... Do we April May? Do we think that that number is going to increase? Stay about the same in twenty twenty four? What are the thoughts? I think it'll definitely go up. I think to your point, Josh, sixteen percent. I mean, if you look at how many uh, offers are accepted by investors, sure, it's one in eight, right? So, and and you're looking at um, one interesting stat to look at here, and it, it uh, if you look at the, one in six, sorry. well, right, and if you look at the number of cash deals 
That number oh. hasn't changed that much, right? So it was 21% last July, 16% last August, 20% in December, and so far it's 16% in January. But if you look at the percentage of cash offers to the percentage of inspections waived, um, you can see that in July and August, seasonally, there were far more non you know, the, the spread between cash offers accepted and inspections waived mm-hmm. was much bigger. Um, in December, it was a 2% difference. There was 2% more inspections waived than cash offers. And in January, they were equal to each other. So you one could argue, and again, not all cash deals are investors, but a lot of them are. Yep. Um, one could argue that those spreads might be those conventional buyers who kept getting kicked out of the market or being in multiple offers constantly. Um, so or for those of you FHA right. or VA, because their financing might be, you know, not considered as... Um, good as a conventional offer in, so in that in that time of year, right? Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if you know if the cash offers stay right around fifteen to twenty percent. Does the inspections waived go um, up and up? And I would guess, you know, once we get into a season like February, March, April, uh, and into the summer where there are more multiple offers, you're going to see that number continue to increase. But will it increase to the point where it was at last year? Is hard to say. Um, I would bet that over the past five to seven years, if you averaged this all out. I would bet it's that number is probably somewhere between twenty and thirty percent. All I bet I bet it will. I bet this spring it will be higher than it was in July. I would Very love, possible. and I know this is impossible, but the one data point that would be really nice to have here is going to be percentage of offers that are in multiple offers. Yeah, I don't know why they don't have that one. Well, they're not able to do that. I mean, the person submitting I the purchase, they're only looking at the to going tell in. them it's in multiple. It was they in could multiple add offers. it to their closing worksheet to say was this in multiple offers. We should ask them to do that. I wonder if they would do that because then you would see like. You know, was it 16% were in multiple offers, so it was a waiver? Was it lower? Was it higher? What is that? Mm-hmm. How does that compare? Um, I think moving on, the next big one that I'm seeing on here is going to be the seller contributions towards buyers' closing costs and how that's trended. So obviously, as inspections waived goes down, you start to see seller contributions go up. So it's not that hard. It's not rocket science to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, as it gets less competitive, buyers get more aggressive with trying to get seller contributions added in. And I think if we went through our team, and again, we don't have as much market share probably as this TC company, but you're seeing the same trend on our team where more and more deals are coming in with the sellers contributing something towards the buyer's closing costs. Not to mention, if the inspection isn't <coughs> waived and you offered on a house that doesn't have, you said, hey, here's 400 k we're going to pay our own closing costs, you do an inspection, typically if something needs to be repaired, you're going to be asking for money towards your closing costs because that's cash in your hand. So as inspections go down or go up, more inspections happen, you would theoretically see more contributions. Yes, yep. absolutely. Um, just because that's the main topic to negotiate on during that time. Yep. And Luke, I mean, Luke, you just got multiple offers on a listing and both had closing costs. Two of the three had closing costs on there. All three of them had inspections. Um, one of them had the verbiage that said they won't negotiate over a certain there dollar amount. Which was interesting. My seller actually said that. And then Luke right. negotiated $14,000 and no inspection. Yeah. And no, no my seller goes this morning, my seller's talking to her. She goes, what's the deal with all these seller paid closing costs? And I said, well, it's a little bit about the buyer specific situation, right? So like if this buyer's putting 3% down, they literally don't have it. Then they'll going to have to ask for it in this scenario. But they also might feel like since it's been on the market for a little bit longer, maybe, or they feel like there's less competition right now, they might be able to get away with that on the front end. Mm -hmm. I will say from what I have been seeing, and I know it's super early on, we're in what, the one and a half weeks into January, I have seen a significant pickup, at least on listings on that specific, Mm -hmm. or at least on showings on Mm -hmm. that specific house. And I know agents say this a lot, but the next month, 
to month and a half might be the time if you do have a buyer that has to get seller paid, has the only option. It might be their best opportunity until September, October, or a contingent, or a contingency or a too. Contingent so there's, offer. yeah, there's a lot of ways that that gets um, gets caught up in there, and I think. Yeah, I mean, you're you're totally right. I I, I think having the ship, three, the ship may have already sailed. Actually, it may have. I, I the one the one cool one on one of my listings, which was really interesting. We were on the market for eight weeks. We sold it last week. The and I may have mentioned this on the podcast already, but we had two. Uh, sorry, we had six showings in the first six weeks we were on the market, and this was between early November and middle of December. Middle of December through the holidays into the first week of January, two weeks. We had 14 showings. So pretty wild to see how that swing happened. And I think... And that's usually the slowest time of year. Usually, right? And so the rates came down, which helped a lot. I think got a lot of people energized to get out earlier. But I think as the news cycles continue to kind of flow through and people understand that the rate's not seven and a half, it might be six, seven, five, or even a little bit lower now, that they get a little bit more excited and they decide maybe this year is the year that I stop, you know, renting that apartment or that house or whatever and I get back out there. So we had on on this listing that I was talking about, we went on the market in September of 23. We were on the market for about 60 days, mid-December, took it off the market, went back on last Tuesday and have had 11 showings in five days and three offers. Pretty yeah. crazy. So I couldn't sell it before, right? I mean, no, a lot yeah, of weird exactly. crap happened on that deal, but still to get three but at the same time is insane. I mean, it, and it does, it even harps back even more to if you have buyers in Q4, it's going to be the same in Q4 of 2024 and they might be interested or they said they're going to look in January, February to maybe get them out in December. You did, I mean, you did that years. in December. Yeah, you did that this year in December. You had a I couple bought a, buyers. I bought a house. Yeah. Like, well, I just was Josh like, bought another house in December. <laughs> I had a client buy a house. <laughs> Uh, I reached out to him because I said the same thing. It's, it's going to get busy again. So he's like, yeah, let's go see this one that I like. We saw it. He liked it. He got it for less than the list price. He got a free furnace. He got a new washer dryer. And then we got another $4,000 in closing costs. It's crazy. Yeah. The, and, and I think too, Luke, now if you look at it again, and, and these are all kind of repetitive because they flip from seller friendly to buyer friendly. Correct. But if you look at average purchase price to list price, July 101%, August 100%. This last this December 2023, 98%. January so far, 98%. So we're talking 3%. 3% on the median sales price in Minnesota is like 350 right now. 360, I think, even. $10,000, $11,000. $10,000 or $11,000 different. um, And and coupled with more seller contributions, buyers in December and January saved, you know, on paper, if you were to quote unquote do that. Ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars versus those that bought in the summer in the height of the competition. Yep. And granted, the list prices probably are a little bit higher, right? Everything's moving, but we didn't see that much price appreciation in Minnesota last year. Um, what did it end up being? Like, one point one, I think. Yeah. So, so prices were fairly flat. So, if you look at it from a, from a macro perspective, like the buyers that ended up buying in the winter are doing a lot better. Seriously than their, winning. Their, yeah, their counterparts that bought in the summer. Seriously. Yeah, I've used this. I'm, so I told this story a lot of times, but I did an internship with a guy who was an entrepreneur and he gave great advice. And one of the things that stuck with me for the longest time was he said, if you ever see a group of people all running in the same direction, turn around and run the other direction as fast as possible. Because what happens, and it's been so true in this industry, what happens is, is people tend to flock, right? So it's like first of the year, Three straight years, we've seen this phenomenon where it's like, oh, New Year's resolution, I'm going to buy a house. They all come out, right? So I tell my clients, that is going to probably happen again. It's happened three straight years. And now that interest rates are going down, it's probably going to maybe even be accelerated in terms of the way the behavior is going to happen. 
you have about three weeks here before all these people show up. And when they show up, it's not going to be that much fun to be a part of the herd. So get involved now if you want to have some success that's not going to be with all of these people competing with you. But like, think about those opportunities when you start to see everyone being like, I'm no longer interested in buying a house. And you hear the negative news cycle or you hear things about unaffordability or interest rates or whatever. If you start hearing everyone telling you that they don't want to be a part of this anymore, then the ones who are even somewhat interested... Those are the ones that are actually going to have a lot of success because they're not following the whole herd in one direction. And so. I think I think nowadays too, especially with news being so accessible with social media, most of these trends go the same direction. Yes. So like, Box just talking about Cat Williams, like this comedian, and he did one th- podcast, then all of a sudden he's like blowing up all over the place. That's how it works, right? I mean, yep. like people start to post stuff and then someone shares it and then someone researches more and then shares more information and it starts to kind of compound and pile on and you and you see that herd mentality because everyone's getting fed the same information. Well, and the algorithms are built to feed you the information you click on. So like if, if someone was thinking about buying a house and all of a sudden they see one video and they watch the whole thing that's like, you need to buy it. Like you should go look to buy a house. It's going to be super competitive. They're just going to get all of that. Yeah, if Dave Ramsey says it's the worst again. time to buy a house they're of all gonna time. They're just going to get fed that over and over again, and then they're going to move that way. And that's why you see these market. I mean, in Minnesota, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You see mm-hmm. the number of closed sales in the winter and the number of listings in the winter. If you look monthly, it's literally an up-and-down roller coaster forever. If you look back to 2005, mm-hmm. it has never deviated from that outside of the pandemic for one week, mm-hmm. and then it went right back to where it was. So... I think these news cycles and the seasonality that's going on coupled together are going to lead to likely more competition here. But you kind of saw the folks like maybe Josh said the window has closed, but maybe it has not yet for a couple of weeks in January Mm -hmm. that you have an opportunity to get out there and actually see something get under contract without competition. I mean, I think it's going to get worse, but I think the really good window has probably closed at this point. But I think you're still in a better place now than you will be in a month. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I call it? Let's hit a few more of these. Appraisal yeah. gaps. So yeah. mm-hmm. we probably should devote a whole podcast to this because I'm looking at this number and saying only 2% of offers in January had appraisal gaps on them, but only 12% in July when the market was busy and in multiple offers. What that tells me is, well, A, once again, buyers are getting more leverage in this market, right? We've already kind of reiterated that. But it also tells me that agents may not be understanding the value of appraisal gaps for helping their buyers win in ways that they should be. Meaning... I've used appraisal gaps a number of times um, when they literally have no impact on my buyers because they're they're a give that has no negative repercussions for the buyer. So even if I might not have needed it or even if uh, it's not going to matter, I'll throw it in there because it's going to help them have success in look, standing out from another offer. And if only 2% of offers are using them, I'm standing out a lot more than I thought I was. Um, 2% of accepted offers. But still, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. that means there's probably even more of them that weren't accepted because they didn't have appraisal gaps mm-hmm. in them. Mm-hmm. So, but there are often times where it's like a buyer's 30% down conventional. It's like, okay, well, throw yeah, an appraisal 10, gap in there anyways. 10% to play with, yeah. You have a lot of money to play with that's not going to likely affect you because 5 to 10% of appraisals come in short. So 90% of the time, you're going to be it fine also, anyways. if you're putting 30% down, it, it literally doesn't affect anything. And you'll probably have a waiver on the front end too in a it lot of these even, cases. It literally doesn't even matter because if it appraises at 2% below the purchase price, you just lower your down payment at 28%. Your loan amount's the exact same. You don't have PMI. Your payment's the same. It, it Nothing changes. What I'm saying is, is I'm guessing that either agents don't understand that, A, yeah. or B, don't know how to articulate that to their mm-hmm. client in mm-hmm. a way that helps their client understand that you're you're essentially giving them 
the ability to look better on paper in your offer without mm-hmm. taking anything, anything away from, from you, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting to me. The other one I want to touch on is contingent on the sale of the buyer's home. That number has been changing in the direction that you would think it would go the other way. So that's why I want to talk on this. I, yeah. So this is the one. So in July, this was 13% of accepted offers were with. I feel like for our team, this number has gone sale. the other way. Maybe. So in July, it was 13%. August 13, December 10%. Now in January, again, we have limited data, but 4% of accepted offers are on the contingency of the sale of the buyer's property. Talk about why that month might be going in a direction you would think it'd be opposite. You think it'd be going up. I think for one, in January, you're probably dealing with sample size problems, like you just said, but also um, seasonality, right? I mean, like if you were trying to get a contingent offer accepted, you would hope that you're doing it during a time when your house would be competitive, right? right. So if you're, you know, again, it is getting more competitive, but if you're going to go for a contingent deal, you don't necessarily do that in the winter. So those buyers might not even be out there because they're worried that their house isn't going to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're trying to do this double whammy deal. We've right? talked about how, so like we looked at pricing in over time in Minnesota and how in the winter the prices are lower and the summer the prices are higher. And part of what we found when we've dug into that is that it's a function of who's buying houses when. So in the winter months, oftentimes what we're seeing is, is that the lower priced homes are the ones that are being purchased because the buyer pool is in the lower priced homes bucket. It's a lot of first time home buyers. Um, partly I think this is due to the school cycles. They don't have kids, yeah. And yeah. so you're not going to have as many contingent offers because the buyers that are buying don't have homes to sell in the first place. So it is, to your point, likely more a function of the buyer pool than it is a function of the competitiveness of the market. Super curious to see where that one goes. It also, theoretically, and I know this isn't as big of an offset in the marketplace, but I'm curious to see what happens with that because if rates get to six to five and a half, you might be seeing buyers out there if they're financially savvy, if they're willing to be a little bit more risk averse, they hold their first property. So they're going out buying non-contingent because they're not even going to sell that house. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen at a higher clip than it has previously before rates got to 3% and everybody refinanced. Um, so I'm curious if that affects that over time as well. I don't think that's a huge offset in the market, but, but it's theoretically, going to be there. Theoretically, your purchasing power has gone up as rates have come down. So that also could theoretically have impacted your exactly. ability to not be contingent. And true, and true. what's interesting, I think, is investing seems to become, it's become more popular. For and sure to be a one-owner landlord is like not that difficult. I have tons of clients that have done this. Um, but it's a really bad thing for the overall market. It's really bad for the because market. Because supply is getting choked. You're, you're taking a one-to-one uh, consumer and you're making them a zero-to-one mm-hmm. consumer. So you're basically introducing a whole new flock of first-time buyers that own a house, mm-hmm. but they effectively affect the market like they're a first-time buyer, so you have less homes on You're requiring market. a new construction house to get built to offset the supply impact. And they aren't building them but, fast enough. And the prices they're building them at are higher than Too the high. prices that these houses are owned exactly. at. And the Twin Cities rental market at the moment, which we should probably do an update on this maybe in, in like March when we're starting to rent ours, but it's apparently looking pretty dang good right now. The rental prices have gone up a lot. We're predicting they might keep going just due to affordability in the marketplace and so it's it definitely is going to affect because some of these people i had someone they're building a house and they text me and said what do you think we'd rent our place at and i said well it was going to be x when we closed on the land that you're building on but now it's like four thousand to forty five hundred a month they're obviously in edina so the prices are higher but i saw that number and i was like that's outrageous how high that number is but think of like affordability wise four thousand doesn't get you it doesn't not in edina um and so it's it's climbing and so we're going to see that affect our marketplace which is going to push our prices up, in my opinion. The last thing I want to talk about before we hop off, cancellation rate. Um, do you guys want to hit that or you want me to? Go ahead. 
So cancellation rate, I just want to add this on here because I, I think tracking this over the year will be interesting to see. And it hasn't really changed much, which not super surprised at. I'm assuming this is a number that isn't as volatile um, as some of the other ones. It probably was in 2020 when crap hit the fan. Um, but July, 5% went down to 3 then 6 then 4%. So we're seeing kind of a stabilization there. I'm assuming over time it's like a 5% clip. I'm guessing there's like <laughs> a 5% a five. Per, a 5% baseline, right? Yeah. But I'm guessing as the inspection wave number goes up to a certain point or as sure. some of these numbers get to but higher numbers... Do you but do you wonder a little bit, Josh? Like as the inspections wave number goes up, if the cancellation rate of the ones that had inspections also goes up because the market's so frantic that people are making decisions. That's what I'm saying. Fast. I think the cancellation rate will go up as the inspection rate wave rate goes up, right? Because, because the rush that. into making decisions mm-hmm. will lead to more cancellations. But I think your baseline is probably around five because there's just going to be deals that fall apart. There always will be. It happens, and it. Um, yeah, it's just going to always stay around that rate. But I do think that the more chaotic the market gets, the higher the cancellation rate will be, even though people are giving up contingencies on the front end because they're just feeling rushed to make decisions. Mm-hmm. If there are any other data points that you'd like us to go over in the future market update podcast, we can certainly do that. Either send us a DM, put a comment down there. If you have our number, shoot us a text. We'll include it next time. Um, but that's all we have this week for the Nerdy Agent Podcast. And as always, remember, be better 